morning, if you have your Bibles, I would like you to take your Bibles, put it in your hand, and open it to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 5. Please turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. If you're here for the first time, or been a while since you've been here, then uh, you need to know that we've been working our way through the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark, as we look at the life and the ministry and the teachings and the miracles and the compassion of Jesus Christ, and we're seeing what, what, God, what God did, but also what God does. Never go into this book simply saying, oh, I'm really grateful for what God did a long time ago. Thank God for what he's doing right now. This is for today. This story that we're going to look at today, this true story, begins just as the previous story ends. The previous story is the one at the end of Mark chapter 4, where Jesus and his disciples were crossing the Sea of Galilee. And as they're crossing, at night the Bible says, as they're crossing, suddenly this huge storm comes out of nowhere, starts rocking the boat, piling up the waves, and Jesus, the Bible says, is sleeping in one part of the boat. The, the disciples, some of whom were fishermen, saw this storm so desperate that they go to wake Jesus up and they tell him, don't you care that we're about to drown? We're about to perish, one translation says. Don't you care? And Jesus gets up and with three words, just three words, Jesus quiets the storm. Everything was quiet like that. Great true story. But I want to add this as well. Jesus still quiets storms. He still quiets storms. How many of you, in the, don't raise your hands, but how many in, in, in the last couple of weeks since we, we looked at that text, how many has, has, the Lord, has the Lord quieted, in some cases, the storm around you, but more often, I think, quiets the storms within us? Sometimes we have those storms and we just feel in such turmoil, such turbulence, and Jesus still quiets storms, and I thank God for that. Well, that's the, that's the, the end of chapter, of chapter 4, but verses 1 through 6 of chapter 5 read this way. They went across the lake, you see the sequence, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart, and he broke the irons that were on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out, and he would cut himself with stones. Now look at verse 6. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he fell on his knees in front of Jesus. The Lord bless his word to us today. Verse 1, verse 1 tells us that they were in the region of the Gerasenes. Now, you, you may read that and go, okay, no, no big deal. But, but this is on the, the northeast shore of the Sea of Galilee. And I point that out because... This is probably not where they had intended to go. They probably did not plan on going to this region for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, it was, uh, for the most part, a non-Jewish region. 
Secondly, it was somewhat remote. People just, a lot of people didn't go there unless you were from there. And the third reason is none of the disciples were from this region. So, so but, but here they were. They, uh, here, here's what apparently what had happened. The previous night's storm had apparently uh, uh, taken them to a place that they had not intended to go. Storms will do that, won't they? So you understand there, there's no powered engine. It's wherever the wind and the waves carry them, and this is where it carried them. Now, I, I point that out because as you follow Jesus Christ, He can, and He often does, direct you to places you wouldn't go to encounter people you wouldn't meet because He has a greater purpose. Let me say that again. Understanding this in its whole context, because sometimes we just you know, think that everything started over with chapter 5. No, it's the continuation of chapter 4. The storm at the end of chapter 4 had put them in a place they had not intended or and probably would have never planned to go. But God had a greater purpose, and He still does. Some of you are, have been, or you're going through a storm right now, and you're going, why is this happening? Why am I going through this? Maybe one of the reasons that He allows that storm, that turbulence in, in your life, that contrary wind, is to take you to a place you've not been before, to meet someone that you've never met before, and to do something that you would have never done on your own. Storms have a way of doing that. And this is what was happening here. Jesus, however, I, I, I just don't think that anything ever happened with Jesus accidentally. Uh, Jesus had a greater purpose. He, he's the most purposeful person who ever lived. And I believe he came to this shore of all of the places that he could have landed on this sizable inland lake called the Sea of Galilee. He came to this shore to meet with this person. Again, verse 2 says this, when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs, excuse me, to meet him. It says, a man, and I point that out, a man with an evil spirit came to meet Jesus. Evil spirit. Some translations um, uh, render it a, an unclean spirit. These were actually demons. This man had demons, the, uh, uh, fallen angels, uh, servants of Satan himself. Now, how, how this man became this way, we don't know. It's not recorded. But at some point in his past, we don't know what's going to happen here in his, in his near future, but at some point in his past, beginning in a small way, and by the way, it always begins in a small way, at some point in his past, he had opened himself up to demonic activity. Something he had done or something that was done to him, we're not really sure, but at some point, the demons now began to live in him, and he became demon-possessed. He was possessed by these demonic forces. These demons that were living within him, they controlled him, and they tormented him, we would say, boy, he has some life-controlling issues. But they were more than just life. These demons were more than life-controlling. They were life-destroying. He was in a terrible place. Satan always takes people to destructive places they never wanted to go. Satan always takes 
people to destructive places they never wanted to go. And as I was studying this over the last number of weeks, I got thinking, you know, here's God in his purpose, in his great plan, takes somebody through a difficult time, a storm, and puts them in a place where he uses them. But Satan, you know what Satan does, and it's not an equal, uh, by comparing the two, I'm not saying one is equal to the other because it couldn't be further from the truth. God is infinitely more, infinitely more powerful. Satan is himself just a created being. But while God takes people sometimes through difficult places so that he uses them so that good things happen, Satan will often take people through what appear to be good things, but he always takes them to a place where they're destroyed. He, he takes, Satan takes people to a place that they don't want to go. And, and this man, I'm sure, when it all started, how it started, again, we don't know, but how it all started, I'm sure that he didn't think that he was going to end up as he did. But Satan will always take us to a place we, we would never want to go. And notice, please, it says this demon-possessed man lived in the tombs. It says he lived in the tombs. Now, you've all seen them. Times have changed and tombs now look different than tombs then, but tombs are places of death. Tombs are are places of of burial. Tombs are are places of of decomposition. I've been in a lot of cemeteries and I've been around a lot of tombs and and while sometimes there's, there's people who gather at a graveside and they talk about somebody who was being buried or somebody who was buried sometime before a little ways away. Sometimes there's some laughter and sometimes there's some smiles as they reflect on some of the stories. But you know what? Tombs are a place of sorrow, generally, aren't they? Tombs are a place of sadness. Tombs are a place of tears and, and goodbyes. Tombs are, tombs are places of death. A few places. Few places represent sadness more than cemeteries and tombs. So why is this guy drawn to such a place? It says two times it refers to tombs. Why was this man drawn to such a place? Again, we don't know. The Bible doesn't say. I I have an opinion, an opinion only because, again, the Bible doesn't say. Maybe, just maybe, because Satan has always had a preoccupation with death. Satan is preoccupied with death. I've always been amazed at how some of the most heinous and horrible activities throughout have, 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 have included signs of death. Skull and crossbones. In, in World War II, some of you know this, in World War II, the... the the symbol on the Gestapo on the, and also on the SS, it was a, a human skull. Satan has a preoccupation with death. Now, now why here? Uh, perhaps because it's, it's in cemeteries often where Satan feels like he has the victory. Uh, this person is dead and I've got them. And, 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 and he destroyed them and Perhaps this is why this man was drawn to a cemetery. Again, we don't know. But this man, this demon-possessed man, was surrounded by death. I want you to, I want you to get that point because that's very important. He was surrounded, he was drawn to, and he was surrounded by death. 
Verses 3 through 5 describe this man further. He was out of control. The Bible says that people had tried putting chains on him. He was also supernaturally strong. The demons had a part in this, of course, because it says he would break every chain that people would put on him. It says every night and every day he cried out. So I can imagine, here's this guy with a voice that's, that's maybe hoarse or at best just shredded and shrieking and horrible. It says he would cut himself with jagged stones so he would have had infected wounds and he would have had scars, horrible scars. Uh, here in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 5, it doesn't record it, but Luke's gospel does. It says, Luke, when he writes about this same event, says that this man was naked. He was naked, which, which means that he, he, uh, he, he was shocking in appearance. People would not only see his nudity, but they would see the, the wounds and the scars. And... I was talking with my staff a couple weeks ago. I said, how, how can we illustrate this? And, and one of the members of the staff said, we ought to put somebody in a skin suit, you know, one of these flesh-covered, and have somebody run from the back to up through this door. And I said, you know, there are people here with heart conditions. I don't think that's going to be very good. <laughs> but it would make a memory, wouldn't it? <laughs> You'd never forget that day. Remember the time the naked guy ran through the... His appearance was shocking. And it also says that he was beyond caring. That that no no person in, 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 in right spirit and in right mind would do such a thing, would live in such a way. But this this further describes how he was. And it also says that he had been this way a long time. Because it says that he had been bound often. For a long time, people had tried to put chains. For a long time, he'd been breaking. He'd put on, it, it had happened often, so that indicates that this, had been, this was not just something that had happened for a few days or a few weeks, but maybe months or perhaps even years. The, the text, and I, and I want to be very clear on this, neither this text nor any of the other gospel writers record the man's eyes, but I can't help but think that his eyes must have been filled with fear, and uh, exhaustion and confusion. I think his eyes would have said a great deal. This man was was demon-possessed. He was controlled, tormented by these demonic spirits. What a sight! What What a horrible experience his must have been. But I again point out this. He was also a man. He was most certainly someone's son. He had a mother and a father, perhaps still living somewhere. But he was somebody's son. Maybe he was somebody's brother. We don't know. But he was somebody's brother. Quite possibly. Or maybe, maybe even he was, we don't know his history, but maybe he was somebody's husband. Maybe in the neighboring village there was a woman who used to call this man my love. And maybe, just maybe, there were even some people who were small or maybe not so small that used to call him daddy. You see, I point that out because oftentimes when we see somebody in a state like this, it's just so easy to put a title on them, to put a handle on them, to to describe them somehow and forget that they're a, a man or a woman. He had a name. It's not listed here. 
And I don't know if the people in the area, I think, here's what I think, again, just my, my opinion. I think they referred to him as the crazy naked guy who lives up in the cemetery. That's what they called him. Because people like that, they don't go, oh, that's Phil. No, it's the crazy naked guy that lives among the tombs. And sometimes, and just, sometimes we can look at people, can't we? And we can put a title on them. Oh, that's, that guy's a drunk. <laughs> person's a drug addict. <laughs> well, that, that, that person, boy, they're really, man, they, they, have the, they have the morals of an alley cat. Or that, that person is a convict. Or that, that person is, that person is. And we just, we put titles and we forget that these, that these are people. Then as now, we, we give someone a derogatory title and then it's almost as if we dismiss them. We forget that, that, that deep down they're a hurting man or a woman or boy or girl who is in horrible bondage to something. So don't look at him one-dimensionally and go, it's a crazy naked guy who lived in the tombs, but rather it's a person who's horribly bound and somebody loved him cared for him, still loved him. I'm glad that his story is here. His story is powerful. This man's story is powerful in large part, not just for what eventually happened to him. His story is powerful in large part because he represents people in horrible bondage. People who are who are surrounded by death. You know people like this, by the way. I'm going to go so far as to say this. Perhaps you are a person who is surrounded by death. I want to be very clear on something. People can still be possessed by demonic spirits today. I've seen it. I've prayed for people. I've seen God's wonderful deliverance from demonic spirits. Glory to God. Demons can still and do possess people today. Yet, I'm going to go a step beyond that and say that there are countless others who, while not possessed by demons, are in absolute bondage to something. There are people who have a living relationship with Jesus Christ. By the way, you absolutely, I don't care who says it, you cannot be possessed by demons if you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. You can't. So just don't, don't buy it. But I am saying that there are people who have faith in Jesus Christ and yet who still live with spiritual bondages in their life. And the result is often death surrounds them. People who, who don't have faith in Christ and who are not possessed by demons but, but are still controlled by something. How, how about the person I, I, I mentioned a few moments ago about the drunk? And how, how about persons who are bound by alcohol? I'm just going to say that every, every, every time that, that I mention this, Almost every time, someone comes up to me afterwards and says, well, you know, a little bit. Listen, just, it's, 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 if I could tell you the number of hours and the 
thousands of occasions, thousands of occasions in 32 years of ministry that I've dealt with. I tell you, I just would have nothing to do with that garbage. I'm telling you. So it, now if you disagree with me, fine, come back. You know, don't, don't, don't get all upset. But I'm just saying it's, it's deadly. I've seen destruction follow it. I've seen people who are in absolute bondage. They love Jesus, some of them. Some of them don't know Jesus, but they're horribly bound by, by alcohol. How about the person who, who, who is, is, is addicted to some kind of a drug? talking with a person just a few weeks ago who is absolutely consumed by methamphetamine right here in our community. Horribly bound. They want to be delivered, but they're bound by this spiritual stronghold. It's not just physical, it's spiritual. How about the person who is bound by pornography? They want to stop, but they can't because it's a spiritual bondage. Sometimes it's a believer, sometimes it's not. But there's this spiritual bondage. How about the person who is in homosexuality and they're, they're bound by this and, and, and they really want, but, but they're, they're, they're drawn and, and the enemy has sold them a lie. And How about the person who, man or woman, who, who is, is so promiscuous, they, 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 they sleep with people who are not their husband or their wife. And they, they, oh, they feel terrible, but they keep going back and there's a bondage, there's a spiritual bondage there about the person who is bound by anger. And, and, and it seems like the, the smallest little thing just hits them and, and boom, it goes off. And, and what, what surrounds them is death. Relationships that have been horribly affected because of anger. It's a spiritual stronghold. How about some, many forms of depression? I believe are a spirit, not all, but, but many of them are spiritual strongholds that the enemy is holding a person, destroying a person, and what's around them seems to be death. They don't literally live in a cemetery, but they almost feel like it, perpetually. How about the person who has out-of-control spending? I mean, if they have the money, they're going to spend every bit and then more. You go, really, is that, is that? Yes, because it can be a spiritual bondage. How about the person who is with suicidal thoughts and they can almost never get away from that? And it's coming back to them. And so many more. I could go on and on and on about spiritual strongholds in people's lives. They're not demon-possessed. The things may have demonic origin and, and, and certainly operating in that way. They're not necessarily demon-possessed, but they're controlled by something. And what's around them is death. They see financial death around them, and they see, they see uh, physical death around them, and they, they, they see uh, relational death around them. People, family members that now have, have nothing to do with them because of these areas that they're out of control. They've looked for help, they've tried to stop, but they keep going back. They're out of control. They're surrounded by death. It would be very easy to read this story. It would be really easy to read, you know, these first six verses and actually further on into it and dismiss it as only applying to the demon-possessed. Well, I'm not demon-possessed and I don't know anybody who is, well, I got that brother-in-law, maybe him, but I don't know anybody who's really demon-possessed and, 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 and yet, and, 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 and check the box and go, that doesn't apply to me or it doesn't apply to anyone I know of while overlooking the death and the destruction that surrounds people because of these spiritual bondages. Death. Not by demons, but controlled 
by something. Now, uh, a bit of a change here uh, in, the, in the text. This, this demon-possessed tomb dweller did not realize it yet, but his actions in verse 2 were the beginning of his deliverance. Look again at verse 2. It says this, The man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet Jesus. And then verse 6 adds this, When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of Jesus. So in verse 2 it says he came and he came to meet Jesus. And, and verse 6 adds, it just, again, fills it out a little bit. He, he saw it from, I can't help but wonder if he sees Jesus still in the boat. He's standing up on, on top of the cliff and he sees Jesus and he, and he sees he's going he's gonna to make it to shore and he goes down to meet him. And it says, and he falls at his feet or fall, fall on his knees in front of Jesus, at the feet of Jesus. You see, something within this man wanted deliverance. We know from later, the, the demons were terrified of Jesus. But the man, the man was drawn to Jesus. Somehow, someway, he knew Jesus was the answer. I want you to picture this scene in your mind. I want you to picture this, this absolute, out-of-his-mind, uncontrolled, demonic-possessed man that almost didn't even resemble a man. And picture him at the feet of Jesus. I thought about looking for a picture of this man, but I thought, I don't want a naked guy up on the screen. But I want you to picture that in your mind. Here's this man, and he's on his knees in front of Jesus. These verses are a study in contrasts. In fact, what you have here is one of the most extreme spiritual contrasts recorded in Scripture. You have this miserable and wretched man, this profound example of Satan's destructive power, falling before the most powerful, pure, and merciful person who ever lived, one is a victim of Satan falling on his knees before the Son of God. Wow, you talk about two extremes in one place. I want you to get this. If you're taking notes, get this. Deliverance begins when we fall before Jesus. Deliverance begins when we fall before Jesus. Deliverance begins when we fall before Jesus. Later on in the text, in fact, we're going to look at it next week. There's just really too much to, 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 to look at here in, in one message. But, but later on in the text, as we'll see next week, the demons come out of the man. But his deliverance did not begin when they left the man and entered some pigs. The deliverance began when he comes and falls at the feet of Jesus. This, right here, verse 6, is where it began. Don't you miss that point? <laughs> it is still where it begins. You want deliverance? You need deliverance? <laughs> you want to be, be set free from the chains? Whatever it might be. One that I mentioned could be countless other things that I didn't. You want to be set free? I'll tell you what, it starts at the feet of Jesus. It starts by falling on our knees and saying, I can't help myself. No one can fix me. But you can. 
starts with falling on our knees before Jesus. Now, while that's true, let me tell you, there are going to be a lot of things that are going to keep you from falling on your knees before Jesus. In fact, it is one of Satan's strategies to keep you from from just observing Jesus at a distance, just acknowledging him at a distance, saying, yes, he's good for someone else, or yes, he delivered someone else, but Satan will do everything he can to, to not only hold the the, the, the bondage that is in you, but, but to keep you from falling on your knees before Jesus. How about this one? This is a lie that Satan has told and some people have believed it. Well, what you're doing or what, what, what holds you is, is normal. There's nothing wrong with it. It's an acceptable thing. Everybody does it. This percentage of the population says it is perfectly acceptable, whatever it is. It's legal. It's acceptable. It's, it's, in some cases, they will even say it is admirable. And as long as we say it's no big deal or it's normal, then we will never fall on our feet before Jesus and say, Lord, I have this thing and you can help me. And some people have bought into that lie. Whatever it is, Everybody does this, or so many people do it. It's normal. Nothing wrong with it. And as long as you hold on to that lie, you'll never fall at the feet of Jesus. How about this one? It's no big deal. I'm in control. I can handle it. How many people have, have been controlled by something or someone? They've been controlled, and they say, I got this. I can handle it. I can fix it. And the people around them know they're out of control. The people around them see the destruction. Sometimes the people who are closest to them see the destruction the most. And all the time they're saying, I got this. I can control this. I can fix this. I can can handle this. I can manage this. And as long as people hold on to that, that I got this, I got this, They'll never fall at the feet of Jesus and say, you're the only one who can get this. The enemy will use that tactic, that lie, to keep you from falling at the feet of Jesus. How about this one? I've been bad for so long, Jesus won't accept me. And you think, that's craziness. No, well, it's, it's wrong, but a lot of people buy into that. Oh, I've been, this, is, this is who I am, and I've, I've done it so long and so bad that, that, that Jesus will reject me. He, he doesn't even want me in his presence. All of those statements and others are satanic lies designed to keep you away from Jesus' feet. All of those things and so many others will do everything they can from from you falling at the feet of Jesus and saying, declaring, with your knees bowed, looking to Him, saying, you are the only one that can help me. Those satanic lies keep us from falling at the feet of Jesus. And remember what I said, deliverance begins at the feet of Jesus. Some of you here this morning have perhaps been listening to some of those lies. But here's some truth. 1 John chapter 1, verse 19 says this. If we confess our sins, confession is just falling at our feet and saying, Jesus, I'm wrong. I need help. 
If we confess our sins, He is faithful and He is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's two things. He forgives and He cleanses. Uh, Without doing an injustice to Scripture, He forgives us and He delivers us. He does that. No one else can do that. But by what He accomplished on the cross, what Jesus accomplished on the cross means that He and He alone has the power and the authority to not only forgive us, but to set us free from the bonds of the enemy. First John, excuse me, John, the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 37, Jesus said this, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. I like that. So if you have heard that lie that or listen to that satanic lie that what you've done is too bad, too long, it'll never, whatever you, if you've listened to that, then you need to write that down. Whoever comes to me, Jesus said, I will never drive away. Thank God. We have a Savior who cares for us, loves us so much that He went to the cross so that when we fall at His feet, when we kneel before Him, He not only forgives, but He delivers. He breaks the chains. He breaks the chains. Perhaps this morning, perhaps this morning, there are some bondages in your life that need to be broken. Perhaps there are some things in your life, some bondages that need to be broken. I remember the times in which Jesus broke some bondages in my life. Did it it happen like that? No, but it began like that. It began by me coming before Jesus, falling on my knees and saying, Lord, you're the only one that can fix me because I've tried and I can't do it. I keep going back. But you can set me free. And he did. He did. And he does. Perhaps today, there's some bondages in your life that need to be broken. And your, your deliverance begins today. Now, it may not, not, just stay with me on this, it may, not, it may not be completed today, but it can begin today. Before I give you an opportunity to respond, I want, I want to first read to you uh, the words of a woman who was bound in something and, and then she was set free. Name is Mary Hunt. She's an author. Perhaps some of you have read some of her stuff. She, she wrote about how she lived in a place of, of death. Uh, Mary, without going into detail, Mary had, she, was, she and her husband were, were, were married, of course, and, and, but, but during that time, in her early years of marriage, she had secretly amassed uh, over $100,000 of debt. Now, uh, again, you may be thinking that, well, overspending is not, come on, uh, overspending is, isn't such a big deal compared to other things, but, but it had resulted with her being surrounded by death. See, again, the enemy really, he doesn't care how he destroys you, how he surrounds you with death, and how he eventually will destroy a person spiritually. He doesn't care how, just that he does. And he'll use a lot of different ways to do it. Uh, or, or he'll tempt you with a lot of different things. In her case, it was, it was not drugs or alcohol or promiscuity 
or any other. It was, it was, it was overspending. In one of her books, she wrote about the day her deliverance began. Listen to what she wrote. She said, she said, it was as if God turned on the floodlight of heaven to illuminate the dark caverns in my life. For the first time, she wrote, for the first time, I saw the magnitude of the mess I had made. I saw how deceptive, deceitful, and manipulative I had been. I had lied to have things my way, and I was certain that I had destroyed my husband's life. The enormity of what I had done was almost more than I could bear. You know what that sounds like? That sounds like a woman who's surrounded by death. Not living in tombs, she didn't frequent cemeteries, she didn't write about that anyway, but, but she was surrounded by financial death, and she was facing the possible death of her marriage, her home, her family. That's death. That's surrounded by death. But I want you to listen to what she wrote next. It's the best part. <laughs> she said this, in the very next line in, in this book that I read of hers, as I began to deal honestly with my situation, I fell to my knees and I begged for God's forgiveness for the horrible mess I'd created and for help to rebuild my life. Listen to it again. I began to deal honestly with my situation. I fell to my knees and I begged for God's forgiveness for the horrible mess I'd created and for help to rebuild my life. She did what the garrison, a whole different situation, surrounded by all kinds of different kinds of death, but she did what the garrison demoniac did. She fell to her knees before Jesus, and that was the beginning of the turnaround in her life. We serve the bondage breaker. Years later, reflecting back on that day, Mary Hunt wrote this. When I prayed for God's forgiveness and asked for help to rebuild my life, I never dreamed he would do all of that and so much more. It took her 10 years. It took her 10 years to, to eliminate all of the debt. But it started when she fell on her knees before God and said, I can't fix this, but you can. This morning... You might be surrounded by death. Death of something. Something has brought about some destruction in your life and you just feel out of control. Or maybe you are out of control. Other people are telling you that, but you're saying, no, I still got it. But you're, but you're seeing the death around you. See, I, I don't know what it is, what, what bondage it might be that you're, that you're fighting that that you see that you, you, you keep going back to and you see how it's, it's affecting you. I don't know what it is, uh, but I do know this. I know the answer is in the name of Jesus. For there's power in the name of Jesus that He breaks every chain, that He breaks every chain, that He breaks every chain. As I shared with you, I'm going to preach on this again next week or the, <coughs> excuse me, the rest of this story. And we're going to trust God for greater things. And next Sunday night, as Pastor Brad mentioned, we're going to gather here for a time of prayer. And you know what? I, I, want, to, I want to pray for people then for, for people to be delivered. And I want to pray for people that won't even be in that room then for people to be delivered. Why? Because I believe that we still serve the bondage breaker. But Jesus 
desires to do a work in your life, not just next Sunday morning or next Sunday night, but he can do a work in your life right now. I'm going to ask our musicians if they'll step forward. And uh, we're going to sing the song that we sang earlier. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to open up these altars as we often do. And, uh, and, 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 and some of you are going to step forward. And, and, and the enemy is going to say, don't you step forward. People are going to think less of you. They're going to wonder what in the world kind of life controlling thing. As I've said before, you've got to get over that. <laughs> you, you want deliverance? you just got to say, Jesus, it's you and me. But, but I'm going to go a step beyond that even. Because here's what I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that Holy Spirit will, will bring this back to you. And it may be that you fall on your feet. Excuse me, you fall at the feet of Jesus. You fall on your knees before Jesus. Not here, but it might be, it might be, uh, it might be tomorrow. It might be later on today. It might be, it might be just as you get home because on the way home, you, you, your husband or your wife or a family member says, you know, when are you going to fall down and, 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 and when are you going to do this? And in that moment, the Holy Spirit's going to say, today, this is the moment. It, it, it may be, it may be uh, this week when all of a sudden that thing that has held you for so long manifests itself again and tries to jerk you around again and tie you down again. And, and in that moment, it's going to be really important that you fall on your knees before Jesus and say, now's the time. You can break this chain. Some of you don't even know that the chain is there. Others maybe do. But the Holy Spirit's going to reveal that to you so that perhaps today or in the hours or the days ahead, the bondage breaker does again in your life what he did so long ago on the hillsides of the Gerasene area. Do you believe in the bondage breaker? Do you believe that there's still power in the name of Jesus? If you do, I'd like you to stand, please, and we're going to sing this. We're going to open up these altars, and uh, they're going to they're going to they're going to sing and, and play. Thank you guys for helping out. Um, we are not going to have a formal closing, other than what I'm about to pray. But when I'm done praying, you can make your way out. You can make your way forward. Uh, you can just, you, if you'd like, you can just stand and and and, and praise for a while. But, but here's what I want. I want to trust that, 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 that God will continue to do here in, in this place among these people what he does here in his word. Because if all we do is just look at this as a history lesson, well, mission accomplished. But I believe that what God does then, he does now. Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for my brothers and my sisters who have gathered from, from around, this, around this community, around, around this region. I thank you, Lord, for the persons who are listening to this message and, 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 and who have your Holy Spirit has spoken to them. But now, Lord, more than just hearing your word, may we do it. And may we make that, 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 in, that essential and, and, and an extremely important step to go beyond just hearing it and doing it and saying, Lord, there's a bondage in my life that I know that only you can break. Regardless of the lies that have been told to me or the lies that I've listened to or the lies that I've told myself, I'm going to trust that there is deliverance that begins at your feet. I'm going to fall on my knees. Figuratively or literally, Lord, but I'm, we're going to fall on our knees before you. I pray.
pray this in Jesus' name. Lord, as some come to the altar and others make their way out again, may we go in the power of your Holy Spirit. May we leave this place knowing that we serve the Lord. We serve the only one, Jesus Christ, who alone breaks bondages then and now. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. If you believe it, say amen. Let's sing this together. There's power.